This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. Both the New York Times and the Washington Post have headlines tracking a story of allegations against senatorial candidate Herschel Walker. He allegedly paid for an abortion. I was listening to National Public Radio this morning and a member of one of their panels said, well, these kind of allegations would have sunk a candidacy 10 years ago. I'm not so sure about that. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Let's talk first about the New York Times piece. Is there anything new in there on Herschel Walker? Some of it sounds pretty familiar. Well, this is one of those cases where I'm going to have to ask about age again. I am getting increasingly old, and thus I have a memory that goes back before the age of Donald Trump. I think the most interesting thing about this New York Times piece is it seems to think that hypocrisy in the name of supporting political candidates is something new. And, oh my, anyone who reads American history would laugh out loud at that. But even if we just limited ourselves to the past couple of decades, what we're basically seeing here again is another theological take. And by the way, I think the story is totally valid, but there's about half of the story that's missing. What we're seeing here again is another take on religious people trying to deal with binary choices in the two-party political system. What do you do when there are two choices? They're both horrible in terms of being consistent with your beliefs. And you have to make a decision of which way you're going to go. And you end up sacrificing some of your religious beliefs on behalf of other beliefs that are either religious, political, or whatever. Now, let me describe a situation here. Let's say you have an embattled political leader. He is accused of terrible sexual sins and perhaps even crimes against women based on the accusation of some accusations of some and this political leader is very important in terms of a political party hanging on to power and especially controlling the US Supreme Court and the crucial issue there is abortion and this particular politician ends up kind of sort of confessing his sins because he's a religious believer and he ends up with circles of religious clergy around him praying for him and I, and I believe even laying hands on him to ask God to, to forgive him and strengthen him and help him move forward. Now are you old enough to know who I'm describing? Well I, be, I believe he might be describing Bill Clinton. That's exactly who I'm describing. And what we had in the Bill Clinton case was people on the religious left 
people who had for years been saying, believe the women, trust the women, take the accusations of women seriously. You had those people on the religious left side of the American spectrum, or the religious marketplace, however you want to put it, and you had them suddenly saying, well, we have all these women who are coming forward to make accusations against Bill Clinton, and they all must be, oh, you know, Republican sycophants or people who are being used by the Republican Party for their their aims, even though several of the women were Democrats who came forward to, to testify against Bill Clinton. But Clinton was very politically talented. He was running for the White House and then in the White House. And so you had liberals who had lots of reasons to oppose Bill Clinton based on feminist doctrine, religious left doctrine, but they were in a position about whether or not they would forgive him. We had a, a really famous case there in terms of journalism hypocrisy back in that time, because this is a family radio show. I can't get into the details, but we did actually have a Time magazine correspondent, a famous correspondent, female correspondent, who made some public remarks about how she thought Bill Clinton was ogling her legs while on a press flight. And I believe the word was ravished. She would be willing to be ravished by Bill Clinton. And when the media reporter Howard Kurtz called her up to ask about this, she gave one of the most legendary quotes in the history of American politics, if you were fortunate enough to have a publication that dared print it, when she basically said she would be glad to perform an explicit sex act, we won't get into the details, just to thank Bill Clinton for what he did to save abortion. That's a pretty explicit statement of some kind of hypocrisy. Maybe it's not in the name of religion, but it is certainly moral and cultural and political expediency. So I guess what I'm frustrated with with this New York Times story is not that I don't think the story isn't important. And I also think the story is valid. What I'm saying is that the story has zero memory of American and religious political life before the arrival of orange man bad, Donald Trump, and all of the burdens that came with him and his complex playboy-style religious and sexual history. So sorry for my frustrations here, but this is not a new story. The Herschel Walker story is not new. And ironically, one of the things we most needed in this story was some feedback and some quotations from black political leaders and religious leaders who have been around for a couple of decades and could have discussed the Herschel Walker case in context. But we don't get that in this story. What do you make of the evangelicals find a way forward with Herschel Walker angle in the headline of that piece? Well, in that case, we seem to be returning to the belief that all evangelicals have exactly the same view on everything. The story was in urgent need of the word some or many in front of the word evangelical, like 
all evangelicals support Herschel Walker. That's a return to the all white evangelicals support Donald Trump thing. And once again, it avoids the big issue, which is reluctant supporters of Donald Trump, reluctant supporters of Herschel Walker in this case, because, of course, Herschel Walker is a Donald Trump candidate for the U.S. Senate. It's impossible to talk about Herschel Walker without talking about Donald Trump. So we're back into that situation where all evangelicals are supposed to have the same viewpoint of this situation. And that's just simply not true. I would assume at this point it wouldn't even be true that all black evangelicals and Pentecostal believers in Georgia had the exact same take on Herschel Walker. Whether they support him or not, I, I definitely wanted to hear from a wider range of voices in evangelical and Pentecostal life, and that's white leaders as well as black. So <laughs> I'm curious if any other religious groups, since they raised the issue of evangelicals, if any other religious groups in Georgia have been queried, because there are, if I'm not mistaken, well over one million Roman Catholics in Georgia, although you wouldn't know it by the media narrative. Yeah, and of course, Catholics swinging, I should say this, practicing active in church Roman Catholics have been increasingly swinging toward the Republican Party. But I could guarantee you that a lot of them would not be very comfortable with many elements of Herschel Walker's past, his mental health, and his campaign. I mean, so yeah, I would have liked to hear from them. But once again, if the whole point is that hypocritical evangelicals are the whole story here, then that's the, the only way you're going to go. I'm really just intrigued with this when you, when you try to compare this to the Clinton case. Because one of the things Clinton did, if you remember back that far, is Clinton did sort of confess. He like sort of said, I have sinned against my marriage. I've done a few bad things. But then he immediately ran away from whether or not he had committed any crimes or whether he had done anything that was serious that might compromise his political life. And of course, it helps that his wife, of course, was anxious to forgive him. Well, I would imagine that Herschel Walker's wife right now is pretty anxious to forgive him as well. So why do why is the forgiveness offered by the two wives viewed so radically different? Well, that's simply another case where Hillary Clinton, quite frankly, expresses the worldview of most of the journalists and op-ed pages and publications that are doing the forgiving in this case. They're not anxious to forgive Herschel Walker. And once again, let's draw a parenthesis about the fact that he's probably not a conventionally qualified political candidate in the first place, into parentheses. They're not anxious to forgive Herschel Walker because he opposes everything they stand for. And ironically, in both the Bill Clinton case and the Herschel Walker case, as well as in the 2016 White House election Donald Trump case, the pivotal issue in all of this is abortion. 
and the fact that the story also never pauses to ask. I was very curious, the Democratic senator, the Reverend Warnock, does the story ever tell us what his stance is on abortion? Because the majority of Democrats, if you read carefully in the polls, want to see some sort of compromise on abortion, some sort of they don't want abortion to be banned. And, of course, the Supreme Court didn't say that abortion was banned. They threw the issue to the states to create their own policies. But most Democrats don't want to see abortion banned, but they're very comfortable or they favor restrictions on abortion. And what the restrictions, that's where you get into how sensitive the language is in polling. But it, it certainly would seem that most Democrats favor some sort of European-style approach to abortion, which bans the procedure in most cases after, say, 10 to 12 weeks. A lot of other Democrats and would be in favor of a heartbeat bill. We hear a lot in this story about Herschel Walker's approach to abortion and how it clashes with what appear to have been his actions, etc. We don't hear anything at all about what the other candidate believes about abortion and whether that really rings true with the majority of African-American believers or even African-American Democrats. There's one other thing that happened several times in this story that I was curious about. They're trying to really separate the religious beliefs of the two men. So let me read some sections of two parts of this story. The Senate race in Georgia has become an explicit matchup of two increasingly divergent versions of American life. Mr. Walker reflects the way conservative Christianity continues to be defined by its fusion with right-wing politics and tolerance for candidates who, whatever their personal failings or flaws, advance its own power and cause. Walker has wielded his Christianity as his ultimate defense, et cetera, et cetera. Then we get down to Senator Warnock, and he is a lifelong minister who leads the storied Ebenezer Baptist Church, home to the Christian social activism embodied by the late Reverend Martin Martin Luther King Jr. He has inherited the legacy of the black civil rights tradition in the South, where faith focuses on not just individual salvation. Let me underline that focuses on not just individual salvation, but on communal efforts to challenge injustices like segregation. When I read that, I, was, I found myself thinking, does the New York Times really want to get into an in-depth study of what Warnock's theology is on salvation? What do we know about Christology? If we're going to start asking theological questions and kind of trying the consistency of some people's theological beliefs and their actions, we're going to need a lot more theological information to be able to compare. And of course, in the case of Warnock, you have a theologically trained man. You have a minister with graduate degrees and whatever else. I imagine there is some track record out there on what he believes about salvation, what he believes about Christology, etc., and how all of that fits into his approach to church. In other words, if this is going to be a religion story, and I agree that religious content is essential, it's not just a story about Herschel Walker. It's a story about how we ended up with both of these candidates and kind of whether or not people in Georgia are terribly comfortable with, once again, this binary choice.
So, Terry, what did you make of the Washington Post? They gave us some backstory on not only this abortion issue with regard to Herschel Walker, but also his candidacy. Well, I mean, first of all, we're dealing with claims that originated not with the Washington Post or the New York Times, but with a fiercely partisan publication called the Daily Beast, which is not a very conventional news source. It's kind of like saying, based on reports in Rolling Stone, this is what we're doing. But once again, if you do look before that, you basically get into the quest for electable Republicans who have enough charisma and fame to get elected and, crucial point here, and there's no way around it, are willing to kind of bow the knee in the direction of Donald Trump and some of his about, shall we say, honest elections, unrigged elections, et cetera, et cetera. Everything gets pulled into the vortex of Donald Trump in this case. But I really think the, the, the real fascinating question is why Republicans seem to keep embracing anyone with a hint of kind of a celebrity talent, a celebrity charisma. And I think that just tells us a lot about where Republicans are in terms of their, their pool of talent. Trump doesn't like mainstream electable Republicans. And we can argue all day about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but the simple fact of the matter is I think most political observers would concede that if Trump was not a huge factor in the Senate races in Georgia in 2020, the Republicans would now control the U.S. Senate. And you wouldn't have had a kind of division in the Republican Party in the state of Georgia that led to the election of Democrats. So how did we get Herschel Walker? He's famous. He's African-American. I think there's no way to say that isn't a factor here. And he's Trump's choice. So that gives you Herschel Walker. And the problem Republicans are having is coming up with mainstream Republicans, I should say, or even cultural conservative Republicans who aren't fond of Donald Trump. And there are a lot of them. They're having trouble coming up with candidates who can compete in the world of Twitter, social media, late night comedians, and whatever else. Um, Herschel Walker is a very famous man in the state of Georgia. Obviously, University of Georgia football is right up there with the Catholic Church, the Southern Baptist Convention, and any other religious force you would want to have. It'd be like trying to run in the state of Tennessee against Peyton Manning, except Peyton Manning actually has a graduate degree, I believe, last time I checked, and has a, quite a bit of management experience. But inevitably, we end up saying Republicans are searching for someone who is accepted by Trump and has some sort of Ronald Reagan-esque gift of charisma and media talent that makes it harder for the media to go after him. The problem, if you back up, Ronald Reagan had been elected governor of one of the two most powerful states in the union at that time and had served two terms. We knew a whole lot more about his political abilities, his political stances, his ability to work with other people. We knew a lot more about Ronald Reagan than we knew about Donald Trump 
or for that matter, Herschel Walker, or some of the other colorful candidates that had been put forward by Donald Trump. Now, that was an entire political speech by me, but a part of pleasing the constituency of Donald Trump is somehow being able to play a religion card and play it effectively, and in some cases more effectively, say, even than Donald Trump. Herschel Walker seems to be sort of with his thing, Herschel Walker saved by grace. There's a kind of an implied repentance there. Donald Trump is the guy who famously said he wasn't sure if he had any sins that he needed to repent of. That's a whole other level of theological debate. But well, in reality, the question here is if Herschel Walker tomorrow called a press conference and said, yes, I made mistakes. Yes, I did what I'm being accused of. I asked those women for forgiveness. I ask you for forgiveness. I sinned. I need to be forgiven. Who actually has the power to forgive Herschel Walker? And my question there is similar. Who had the power to forgive Bill Clinton? So let me ask you that. Who do you think forgave Bill Clinton in a way that allowed his political career to move forward? Well, I suppose it would be, if I, for lack of a better category, the voters. Well, ultimately, but to get to the next stage, he needed to be forgiven, a, like I said earlier, by his wife, but no one seems to be very interested in that in this case. He needed to be forgiven by his political party, and that gets us right back into brutal politics. I would say the most important group of people that needed to forgive Bill Clinton or say there was nothing valid to accuse him of was primarily the media. And when I say the media, I don't just mean political reporters. I, I mean one of the most powerful groups of people in American life today, which is late night comics, Hollywood, the people who decide who's cool and who's not, who's acceptable and who's not. And this now has all been, the Bunsen burner under this has been turned up to boiling level by Twitter and by social media. So is anyone willing to forgive Herschel Walker who could make this story go away in the same way that there were people who were willing to forgive Bill Clinton that ultimately allowed that story to go away? And I would say there aren't because the Republican Party has next to zero media talent and clout, which is part of why they have Herschel Walker as a candidate in the first place. They want someone who can kind of go over the media to voters in Georgia and get elected. I always like to, one of my very favorite writers in the world is Peggy Noonan. And Peggy Noonan, besides her, her obvious talents, Peggy Noonan had a lengthy period of time in the mainstream press. And most famously, I guess, she was a key writer for Dan Rather when he was the head of the CBS Evening News. And Peggy Noonan, you know, grew up blue collar in New York City. She understands New York. She has all of these things that make her a unique talent in mainstream media. And she is a cultural conservative, a conservative Catholic. So here's my question. How many Peggy Noonans does the Republican Party have? People with that kind of background that makes them level superstar talent. 
the Re Republican Party has almost no other people that fit that description. And cultural conservatives have almost no other people that have that sort of talent and skill. Okay, how many people do the Democrats have? who have worked at the Washington Post, at the New York Times, at National Public Radio, for major Hollywood studios, as screenwriters and scriptwriters for major comics, etc. How many people fit that description? Well, I dare say hundreds, thousands. So one of the things we're seeing here is a consequence of decades of conservative religious people, conservative political people, not developing a talent pool in the world of journalism and entertainment, and writing that all off basically is just short of satanic. And this is, of course, something I've been pounding my head on this wall for years as someone trying to teach journalism in conservative settings. But the Republicans don't have people with real media skills and talents, or they don't have many. The Democrats have lots of them, and many of those Democrats formerly worked at the New York Times, the Washington Post, National Public Radio, the Daily Beast, the Stephen Colbert Show, Comedy Central, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When you get into a fight over an issue like this, Herschel Walker simply stated, has no one in the media with the power or willingness to forgive him. Whereas if a Democrat was in the exact same situation, there would be all kinds of people rushing to forgive them. With just a minute here, are reporters capable of looking outside the Beltway bubble and realize that Americans can be pro-life for both religious and scientific reasons? I don't know. At this point, I don't even see in the, the wake of the fall of Roe v. Wade You'll remember I said that one of the most important was how accurately reporters would be able to trust people who are in the middle of the abortion debates, and that includes a lot of evangelicals, a lot of Catholics, and even a lot of Democrats, especially black Democrats. I don't even see in this story a willingness to engage with religious believers or political leaders who are in the middle of the Georgia religious and political scene. Someone needed to go talk to black pastors. Someone needed to talk to black Pentecostal leaders, maybe Latino religious leaders and charismatics and Pentecostals, etc. There are a lot of people that we needed to hear from if we're really going to say evangelicals have sold their souls to back Herschel Walker. If that's really the equation here, we need to talk to a lot more evangelicals in a lot of different pews to be able to answer that question. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion, and he's founder and editor of Get Religion. Terry, thanks. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at GetReligion.org.